Uh, but it's just the chorus that we're just going to play again, so, which is almost identical to the verse. <laughs> but yeah, I have a feeling that you guys can be seated. Thank you. Well, good morning again. Children's Church. Is there a Children's Church tonight? Yes, there is. Okay. If you're going to Children's Church, it's time to go. So, that was some good songs. I like that. That was good. I'm blessed. So, this morning, as I alluded to in the last sermon we did from the book of Colossians, which we completed, so congratulations to you for that. Um, I wanted to tack on to it Philemon, and that wasn't just because a lot of the commentaries are Colossians and Philemon, but actually because the two letters most people, most people that have studied it think were sent or brought at the same time, and they're linked together, and so it, it made sense to me that we would uh, finish off the series with um, Philemon. And we're going to talk about this slave named Onesimus and his owner, previous owner named Philemon. Um, now, I'm probably going to only connect right now with about half the audience, but some of you may remember Paul Harvey, the rest of the story, right? Um, that was an awesome uh, thing we look forward to listening to on the radio every day was the rest of the story. Paul, this is Paul Harvey, and that's the rest of the story. There is the rest of the story on this uh, book of Philemon that uh, I think should get us excited, but you're going to have to wait till the end. So I'm going to do a little Paul Harvey on this and make you sit through it. All right. So anyway, we're going to talk about the rest of the story. There, there's a rest of the story about Philemon and Onesimus, the slave, the former slave. This letter, as I said, was delivered at the same time as the letter to the Colossian church and might have also been on the same journey when the letter to the Ephesian church was delivered as well. Um, and the reason that that can be concluded is you can look at how Paul wrote both the uh, introductions and the, the closing of each letter where he lists certain people and uh, there's so much similarities and also the history kind of shows that as well. Um, so who is Philemon? Well, the, Col the Colossian church, or at least part of it, met at Philemon's house. Um, Philemon was, had been brought to Christ. Uh, he was a servant of God. He was hosting a church. He might have even been kind of like a pastor or elder in the church. And his slave, Onesimus, ran away. And if we look at the text, it looks like he stole some money or something when he left too. So he was a thief and a runaway slave. Eventually, Onesimus found Christ through Paul's ministry. And this is where we see Paul writing this letter largely for the purpose of reconciling Onesimus and Philemon. And his goal was not merely to restore a slave to owner, but to reconcile brothers in Christ. And a further goal we will see was that Paul also wanted to teach this to the church. It wasn't just that he wanted Philemon to learn this lesson. He wanted the church to learn it. So I'm going to read the whole book of Philemon all at once for you. It's only 25 verses. But uh, if you can listen along and, and uh, read along if you have your Bible. 
Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when, he, when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all his saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay to say nothing of your owing me even yourself. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will graciously be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. All right, so the slave is our brother. So first we have this greeting from Paul and Timothy to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphi, our sister, Archippus, our fellow soldier. So it may be, and it's probably a fairly likely thing, that this, written was, this letter was actually written to a family. Aphia was probably Philemon's wife and Archippus their son. We don't know that for absolute certain because the scripture doesn't spell that out, but that's a fairly good educated guess just based on how Paul is using the language here. The greeting also includes the church in their house. This means the letter was not only to be for personal use, but it had instructive purposes for the church. Paul had the church in mind as he wrote this letter that they would also learn something. And certainly Paul wanted Onesimus accepted as a brother, not only by Philemon, but as the, by the church as well. So, you know, there's a potential that even if Philemon said, yes, I welcome him back and a brother, there still might be people in the church that are like, what, runaway slave? You know, we don't want to deal with this guy. So he's writing to the church as well. 
And then he uses that familiar greeting, grace and peace. Grace to you and peace. And then he continues in verse 4, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So he's thankful for what? Their love and faith. So they are relationally united with Christ in love and faith as well. They are relationally united to the other saints. And so he prays that their faith would become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing in Christ. So Paul has heard reports about the church at Colossians and he's excited. He's excited about what's going on there. He's heard reports specifically about Philemon and his family. And he's found much comfort and joy in those reports because he said, you've refreshed the hearts of the saints. Probably by showing great hospitality, by being encouragers, they had refreshed the hearts of the saints. And so this indicates to us that this is a family that was ministry-focused. Then in 8 and 9, it says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required... Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus. So Paul fully recognizes he has authority in the church. As an apostle, as one commissioned by Christ himself, he certainly would have had every ability probably to say to Philemon, hey, you need to do this because it's the thing I'm telling you to do. But instead... He appeals to love. Just as we are commanded in other scriptures to love one another as Christ has loved us, so Paul is appealing here to love. Paul's a prisoner himself. He's pointing out, I'm an old man. Some people say, well, he must have thrown that in for a little extra sympathy. We don't know, but there's a, a, Paul is, is appealing. He's appealing to Philemon for love's sake. Because not only would this be a demonstration of love to Onesimus, but Paul is basically conveying the idea that if if Philemon is to obey him, then it would be an act of love to Paul himself. And uh, so Philemon as well would receive love in this because he had now an opportunity to exercise the grace that he was given through Christ. And so it would be a benefit to everybody involved. Verse 10, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Paul has used this language uh, many times before, or similar language, of being a parent, so to speak, in the faith. Sometimes he uses childbirth as an analogy of someone coming to Christ, that they were birthed into Christ. And other times he mentions spiritual fathers, Something that elders should be to younger men and as well to older men who are new Christians that we're to be spiritual fathers to them. And by calling Onesimus his child, he seems to be indicating that he had been the one who had proclaimed the gospel to Philemon and Philemon had, uh, I mean, so Onesimus rather, and he had responded with a saving faith. And that had happened while Paul was imprisoned. And how exactly that came about, well, it'd be a nice story to write, but we don't know the exact details of that. Paul doesn't spell it out. 
What we do know is Onesimus was a runaway slave and a thief. Both of those things in the Roman Empire would possibly earn you the death penalty. Even if a runaway slave was forgiven by their master, they would usually be branded on their forehead. I mean, we're talking brand like we do with cattle. And they would have a mark on them that would indicate that they had been a runaway slave. Not only that, but just as you see in the old westerns, and maybe there's even TV shows that have been about bounty hunters, there were bounty hunters back in the Roman Empire. And they would track down wanted men, including slaves that were runaways, and that was probably actually most often what they were going after. So they would have, they would go around with descriptions of who they're looking for, and, uh, and because of that, the runaway slaves often would disguise themselves. So it probably was the case with Onesimus that he was out there in disguise. Maybe when he stole some money from Philemon on his way out, he went and used that money to buy some clothes so he would look different. Um, but it's likely that he was under disguise and then he wants to get as far away as he can and maybe into a high population area where he won't get found or caught. And so he made his way to Rome. And somehow he heard about Paul and must have gone to see him and heard the gospel. And as a result, he put saving faith in Jesus Christ. In verse 11, Paul then writes, For formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. What does that mean? Well, he was either lazy or incompetent or something. We don't know exactly what. He's apparently been serving Paul in some capacity. Um, Perhaps he was serving Paul in a personal way, or perhaps he was serving Paul in a ministry context. Either way, Paul values him greatly. But most likely, in the course of learning about each other, as Onesimus was sharing his testimony, perhaps, Paul has realized that there are some wrongs to be righted by Onesimus. And then somehow he connects, obviously, that, hey, this is the same Philemon I keep hearing about in the Colossian church and, and the good things there, and so he writes the letter. Um, so this is the same Paul, helping Onesimus in the gospel and also being aware of the ministry Philemon was doing in, in, the, in Colossae. And so he sends Onesimus home, but he doesn't just say, fend for yourself, uh, go and repent to Philemon, it'll all be good. He actually sends uh, him with Tychicus, who was the, the letter bearer of these letters, the mailman, so to speak, and uh, he sends the letter itself and uh, in order to encourage Philemon to accept Onesimus. Now he says he will be valuable to you. Verse 12, I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. This shows how close of a relationship had already developed between Paul and Onesimus. 13, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve you on my behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. Not only were they close, but Paul would have been glad to just keep him around. He, had he asserted his apostolic authority in this situation, perhaps he could have written the letter uh, saying, I've got your guy here, he's saved now, but I'm keeping him here because he's helpful to me. But Paul didn't want to do that. Uh, he didn't want the 
Philemon's reconciliation with Onesimus to be uh, compelled, but he wanted it to be voluntary. So Paul could have used Onesimus, but he wanted reconciliation to happen. Perhaps he felt that this would be a powerful example to the church of how the gospel itself provides a ministry of reconciliation. We're reconciled through Christ to God, and we're also reconciled through Christ to one another. Verse 14, But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be made by compulsion, but of your own accord. So he's hoping Philemon will do this willingly. And then in 15 and 16, For this is perhaps, this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. One of my favorite lines in one of my favorite Christmas songs is, Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. How else could a slave and master find themselves beloved brothers other than by the sovereign work of God Almighty? In his name, all oppression shall cease. Now Paul's asking a huge thing here. He could have merely said, here's your slave back, take him back and don't be too hard on him. Or he could have said, take him back and let him have a lot of grace from you. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says, embrace him as a brother. Not only as an equal person, not only as an employer and employee, but as a brother. Because in Christ, we are all one. Galatians 3, starting at verse 23, Paul wrote, Now before faith came... We were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. And if we really look at our salvation properly, we were all slaves to sin, and now we're slaves to righteousness. Verse 17, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Now Paul says, if you are one with me in Christ, you must also be one with Onesimus. Receive him as you would receive me. In other words, treat him just as if you would treat me if I were personally there. Put out the good food, the good plates, invite the people over, celebrate together just as if Paul himself were there visiting. That's what Paul's saying. Now think about that. If we're all really honest, depending on who's coming over, we may put out different things, right? Paul's saying, take care of him just like you would have taken care of if I walked in your door. 
This reminds us of so many other lessons in Scripture, doesn't it? Prodigal son, a feast was prepared for him. The saying of Jesus that whatever you have done for the least of these, you've done it for me. And then Paul says in verse 18 and 19, he, if he wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Paul is taking personal responsibility for whatever Onesimus owes to Philemon. But really, whatever Onesimus owes to Philemon is nothing compared to what Philemon owes to Paul. Paul brought the gospel of salvation. And whatever is owed in the material world is dwarfed by the value of the gospel. The one who is forgiven much loves much. The debt of the servant who owed a little pales in comparison to the debt of sin we all owe, the debt paid by Christ for those who put saving faith in him. And then in verse 20 he says, Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Is it okay for someone to expect a fellow believer to do something for them? Yes, it is. Now, we never want to be presumptuous about what we think others should do for us. But calling upon someone to do something for the sake of the kingdom is acceptable. We were called last weekend to do something for the kingdom, to support missions. That's not a bad thing. And then in verse 21, confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, and I'm hoping that through your prayers I will graciously be given to you. Paul expects that Philemon will do this. Not because Paul bullied him, but because Paul is, our, is just really calling him to do what is right for him to do in the church and in Christ. So there's so many things to learn from this short letter. Onesimus goes from slave to, you're, you're going to learn in a moment here, the rest of the story. But there are lessons that apply to us today, even though we don't relate to each other as slaves and masters. But if Paul can properly expect such reconciliation between a runaway slave and, the, and a thief, and the, his master that he ran away from and stole from, if Paul can expect that, Simply because they're united through a mutual faith in Christ, how much more should we be able to reconcile to other believers who have not stolen from us? I have observed that many times people speak about people who over the years have left the fellowship of the church, the local church. And you long for those relationships to be restored. You miss those who once had a place at your table. And you still have a place for them in your heart. And sadly, it's probably likely that someone who moved on to another fellowship may never come back. And of course, we would like that to happen. But if we consider that they left for a reason, we may not know the real reason. And we consider that they joined another body of believers for a reason. And now they've established themselves there. It may not be that they will return to regular fellowship. So what do we do with that? What do we do? First, and most important, is to remember that regardless of what local church someone goes to, 
If they share a saving faith in Jesus Christ, they are brothers and sisters. If they once attended here and now attend elsewhere, your functional relationship with them may have changed, but your relationship in Christ did not. You see, when someone moves on, they might, maybe we feel abandoned by them or we feel even betrayed sometimes. Yet in Christ, if we are in Christ, our common factor is still there. The common factor is not the congregation we're part of. The common factor is Jesus Christ. People leave for many reasons. They may leave because they didn't like the preaching or the music or the programs available. But usually when people leave who were part of a church for a long time, it's not really about those things, though they may say that. It's rather that they won't do the difficult work of restoring relationships, and so they simply move on to a new congregation. And sadly, some people move again and again from church to church, and while sometimes there may be a valid reason to leave a church, I think most of the time it isn't about core issues. It's about personalities and relationships. If a church is not preaching the word, or if there's immoral leadership, by all means, those might be good reasons to leave. But if it's because you say you simply can't be around someone because you've had an unresolved issue with them, that's not the right reason to leave. And of course, we don't always hear the real reason why people break fellowship. But we all play a part, don't we? Either we are oblivious to others or what they're going through, or what they're feeling about something, or maybe we willingly push our own agenda at the expense of the community. That happens. Maybe someone left because of you. Maybe someone left because of me. But if we're all truly in Christ, our relationship with them is still there. It may be broken temporarily, but it's still there. And this is what Paul was showing to Philemon, as well as to the church there. That in Christ... We are no longer in bondage to sin. And that includes the sins of pride and selfishness that often interfere with harmony in the church. Instead, we become slaves to Christ, slaves to righteousness. We're commanded to love one another, to bear with one another, to not give up meeting together, to be part of Christ's ministry of reconciliation. So we don't exist as a church oasis church to simply serve ourselves oasis we serve christ and we serve the larger community and whenever we have opportunities to partner in the gospel we do that don't we think of how we partner with missions we celebrated that last week think of how we partner with samaritan's purse and operation christmas child wyatt partnered with walk for life um Gerard partners with uh, Prison Ministry and many others uh, that we partner with. Today, we have an opportunity to show the community around us how we can partner with another church to do something for our community. And as you join us at the Harvest Fest Festival today, make a point to interact with not just the folks you know, but some folks you don't. Because it isn't about Oasis Church today. And it isn't about Calvary Grace Chapel today. It's about being part of God's kingdom together, united in Christ. I'll let you in on a little secret. It's not really a secret. Those folks meeting next door are no less brothers and sisters in Christ than those you are sitting with now. We partner because we see the beauty of Christ's kingdom. Whether we partner for youth, with you for Christ or 
or Operation Christmas Child or all those other things we do, the Gideons or any other group that desires to serve Christ, we do it for the glory of God. If you take the time to get to know folks from other churches with no other motive, not the motive of saying, hey, if I get to know them and they say, hey, maybe they'll start coming to my church. But if you get to know them with no other motive other than to just expand your sphere of fellow soldiers in the army of God without any other motive other than to share in the love of Christ together, you will be blessed. I guarantee it. We don't form these relationships so we can bring sheep from another corral. In fact, we don't really create these relationships at all. These relationships between fellow believers is not something we create because the relationship was already created by Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He is the head of Oasis Church. He is the head of Calvary Grace Chapel. And he is head of the worldwide church. If Paul could properly expect for Philemon and his family to welcome Onesimus, who had run away, Onesimus, the thief who had stolen from them, then how much more can we welcome those who have offended us because they had a different style of music they liked, or a different idea of what children's ministry should look like, or because we have different opinions on other issues? How much more can we forgive those who trespassed against us when we realize God has forgiven us our trespasses? We never know what kingdom impact someone in our midst might have. I told you there'd be a rest of the story, and this is the rest of the story, the best that scholars can figure it out. And part of the rest of this story is not found in the Bible itself, so they have, we have to go to various writings in the early church. So what became of Onesimus? Rumor has it that Philemon did indeed embrace him as a brother, that he was welcomed into the local church with great joy, at what Jesus had done. Rumor has it that being moved by Paul's letters and love for him, that Philemon did indeed send Onesimus back to Paul, a freed person to serve Paul in the kingdom. Rumor has it that Onesimus sat at the feet of Paul, learning all about God's plan of salvation and theology and became a great student of the word. And rumor has it that this Onesimus became the bishop at Ephesus. Fifty years later, when Ignatius, one of the great Christian martyrs, was being transported from Antioch to Rome to be executed, he wrote letters to certain churches. In writing to Ephesus, he praised their bishop Onesimus, even making the same Pauline pun in his name useful. It appears likely that Onesimus, the runaway slave, had become, with the passing of years, the great bishop of Ephesus. This is one of the great stories of the gospel and of the church, a jewel in her crown. Think of those who have disappointed you in the church. Think of how they've offended you or hurt you. Think of whether you did all you could to make peace in that situation. Think of what Christ would have done in that situation. Think of what Jesus thinks about his church. If you love Jesus, you have to love his church because that's his bride. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. You wouldn't tell someone that's just getting married if they're a good friend. Your bride is kind of ugly, you know. This church, the church, is the bride of Christ. He doesn't want someone to say his church is ugly. His bride is ugly. Rather, he wants us to help him in preparing that bride to be presented spotless before him. How can we ever know If we showed the grace toward one another that Philemon showed to Onesimus, 
How can we ever know if that person who received the grace might go on to do great things in God's kingdom? Do we dare disobey scripture and not do all that we can to make peace with one another in the church? Romans 12, 14 to 18 talked about this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so much, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If possible. It means sometimes it might not be. But from your end, you're supposed to do all that it can that depends on you to live peacefully, peaceably with all. Sometimes the most difficult thing we can do in life, and including in the church, is to have difficult conversations where we get to the bottom of our hurts and our fears and our concerns in a way that honors Christ and shows the world that the church truly is unique and special in the world. It is to be a haven where, unlike the world, where relationships are broken and often never mended, we in the church should show grace and compassion and willingness to do the work of living in righteous and holy community together. If we can show this to the world around us, may God provide us the growth we desire because we will have been part of his plan for community in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. In this short letter, we could have spent a month or more, Lord. But as it is, may we summarize with Paul the desires you have for us to be part of your ministry of reconciliation. Lord, may we take seriously our individual responsibility to be reconciled one to another, and may we take that responsibility corporately as well, Lord, that we would be a church that does all it can, that as much as it depends upon us, Lord, we would make things peaceable. Lord, we cannot do it without your strength and the power of the Holy Spirit.